The question is not how are you as an organization going to kind of shrink to protect yourself. The question is, is how are you going to creatively advance knowing that more work needs to be done and there's less money to do it. Welcome to the second episode of the Good and Grounded podcast. This is a series aimed at highlighting really what's happening in our Denver and our greater Colorado community. It's a brief snapshot into some of the things that we can all do to make our community better. I'm Laura Love. I'm the founder of the communications agency, Ground Floor Media, and I'm the co-founder of the digital marketing agency, Center Table. And I'm Jim Licko, co-founder and managing partner at Center Table. Uh, as we mentioned in our first episode, our goal with this podcast is to keep it fairly quick hitting, 10 to 20 minutes in length, diving into one key issue our community is dealing with, and then giving you, the listener, a direct call to action for ways that you can make a difference with that issue. In this episode, we're going to shift to the topic of child welfare and what experts are experiencing as it relates to kids in Colorado and how our current circumstances have impacted them. Ned Breslin describes himself as relentlessly focused on rewiring systems that fail. And he spent his entire career doing just that. Ned is the former CEO of Water for People and the current CEO of Tennyson Center for Children, which is dedicated to helping kids who have experienced severe abuse, neglect, and or trauma so they can bravely and safely change their own life story. Ned has lived in, he's worked internationally for many, many years, but he made his way back to Colorado. He's the lover of his new rescue dog, Lily, and is an amazing father of two girls. And he's been with his wife, Lindsay, for more than 38 years. He's taking this critical issue of child welfare head on at Tennyson Center and for the entire state of Colorado. Thanks, Ned, for joining us today. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Jim. So you talk openly about how your personal journey really mirrors that of the life stories of all the kids experiencing trauma, either from abuse or neglect, that you get to see and support every day at the Tennyson Center. For those that maybe haven't heard of the Tennyson Center, I'm not sure how that would be possible, but there might be a few out there. Can you share a little bit about this amazing nonprofit that first opens its doors back in 1904? Yeah, uh, Tennyson is an amazing place. It's always been the place where the kids whose experiences with trauma are so significant um, that they need additional help go. And um, we've always been kind of a late stage player in the child welfare system. So kids who come to Tennyson have been in, you know, 10, 15 different foster homes, other residential facilities like Tennyson. Uh, hospitals, and people just struggle uh, to figure out what to do with these kids whose trauma is so significant and makes it really hard for them to settle in in a home. Tennyson is, for 116 years, been saying, those are the kids we embrace. Those are the kids that we see their strength and their courage and their resilience. And we're going to help them stabilize. We're going to help them get on a real healing journey, and we're going to reintegrate them back into the community. And we've been doing that amazingly uh, for over a century. Um, the kids who come to Tennyson are generally uh, judged negatively. They have negative stereotypes. They're bad kids. They're, they have bad behaviors and all that. They're actually gifts. And, and I know from my personal journey, 
what it's like to be labeled and stereotyped a bad kid because people don't want to look at the trauma. They want to look at the behavior. And Tennyson has an amazing ability to see their strength, see their courage, an asset frame around what they're great at and help them rise as opposed to thinking of them as a problem or a difficulty. That's great. We, Ned, we've worked with you at our agencies for a number of years, and obviously Laura's been intimately involved on the board for a long time. And, uh, and we've heard you, your, your vision is every kid forever. Uh, you've said that, we know that. What, what does that mean to you, every kid forever? Every kid forever simply means that no child uh, should fall through the cracks for any reason, that we need to sit back and say, those kids are gifts, they're children of God in my view, and we need to see their strengths and we need to embrace and help them reach their immense and, and unlimited potential. We've been doing some deep listening at Tennyson, listening to um, our staff and children uh, who are African-American and Latinx and Native American. Um, and the pain and the anguish and the fear that they have is profound. I was in a, a session yesterday where one of my favorite kiddos at Tennyson um, really started to stumble and she just said, you know, George Floyd could have been my uncle. Um, Brianna Taylor could be my mom. And uh, she's nine. She's nine. So um, we are seeing immense pain and immense anger and immense fear. Uh, and we're seeing it among a population that is generally invisible. So I can't even tell you this gorgeous girl's name. I can't show you a picture of this girl. And there are, I get it, there are reasons for that, but her voice and her beauty is muted in this world. Every kid forever rejects that. You know, most people who go into child welfare go in because of neglect. This girl's mom, just to continue the story, this girl's mom has been ostracized and she is the strongest mom I have ever met. She has stood with her kids. These kids are with Tennyson, not because of her, even though she is blamed. And a lot of it is because of poverty. A lot of it is because there's, there's a kidnapping side to the story that is unbelievable. And she is the hero of the story, but we can't even tell her story. And, and that's the tragedy right now. We're seeing the coming together, you know, COVID-19 is a disaster and has undermined people all over the country. We are no longer seeing kids and families right now for a range of reasons. Um, so teachers, doctors, coaches, church leaders, and, and communities of faith are not seeing these kiddos. And so every kid forever is saying, pick up your eyes. We have got to look. We have got to find these kids and help these families succeed. Not by, in the case of, of this girl, not by taking this girl away from her mom, but creating healing environments so that the mom and the child can thrive. And that's a lot of things beyond trauma. That's a lot of things around economic foundations and security. That's a lot of things around anti-discrimination. And frankly, she is worried for her uncle and her mom because she knows the story. And, and we reject it. We reject that. You know, we were reading that in a single week, and I think early March, maybe March 4th, um, Colorado Child Abuse and Neglect Hotline, they received nearly 5,000 calls, right? Reporting concerns about child abuse and neglect. 
And just two weeks later, when schools started closing and these mandatory reporters weren't seeing kids walk in their doors each day, that number dropped by nearly half. And it's stayed that way for the last few months. So I guess, you know, there's people that aren't in this world like you are that say, gosh, that's great. A 50% reduction shows that fewer children are experiencing abuse and neglect. My guess is you probably have a little different story to tell about that number. Um, yes, the child abuse and neglect hotline has gone quiet. And I think, um, I think the sector is understanding that once we open up, everyone's going to sit back and go, oh, my God. And so organizations like Tennyson are gearing up not only to help the children and families we're working with now, but we are preparing for a potential flood of concerns that come once doctors, coaches, teachers, uh, ministers start to see children again. So as Jim mentioned, obviously I've been a passionate supporter of Tennyson Center. I've actually lost count now how many years, but certainly under your leadership for the last few. And, you know, walking into your office, I think the first time I saw your walls, right? And they don't look like other CEO walls. They look a little different. Can you tell us a little bit about those walls? Oh, I love my walls. So uh, I cook uh, with the kiddos um, every couple of weeks and, um, and it's a blast and the food is terrible and we cook whatever they want. Um, but they always, they always wanna show off what they what they do which is beautiful because they should show off they're amazing kids so they talk about like their business plans or they do tell their poetry or they sing a song or they do a speech this one boy had a uh a book of his drawings and they were amazing they were amazing and so i said to him my god what do you want to do with this this the world needs to see this and so a little bit kind of kind of snarkily he's like well can i can i paint your wall and I said, yes. So he didn't believe me, but he did it. He came and he painted a roller coaster, which was a story of his journey um, through life and how it's been kind of up and down, but it ends going up. Um, and there are two handprints on it. One is him and one is his sister. Uh, and we got them back together um, and they're still together today. Um, and so it sparked this revolution where every kid wants to paint my wall. And so when a kid leaves Tennyson, we call it leaving their mark. And sometimes they put a handprint, sometimes they do an elaborate picture. Uh, but my room, it's, it's actually impossible to, to describe, Laura, don't you agree? It's kind of, but it's overwhelming. And I'll tell you how overwhelming it is. Um, one of the things that I, uh, I love about Tennyson is adults come back to Tennyson who were children there. And, um, uh, they want to see their room, they want to see their school classroom. Um, and it's always very emotional, but we always end by coming up to this room. And this woman um, came upstairs and she saw the room and she just burst into tears. And, uh, and she said, um, can, I, can I do this as well? And so we were like, absolutely. So she did a handprint and she wrote um, from my seven-year-old hand to my 54-year heart, um, uh, thank you, I'm healed. She was there in 1964. And so um, the wall is a testament to the courage and strength of these children. And what I say to them all the time is I walk in and I will never forget you. And it's true. 
this issue of child abuse and neglect is not something that's easy for most people to openly discuss. Um, but you know, obviously the need is real. The support is critical now more critical than ever. Um, tell us about a few ways that people can help today, whether that's volunteering, whether that's monetary donations, Mm -hmm. even the person who may be, um, you know, scared or, or anxious to talk about this issue, how could they help out? Yeah, that, it's such a great question. I think there's a couple ways. We have lots of needs, and the best way you can help us is to, you know, we're extending food services to the families we work with. We're, we have connected all the families to, uh, that we work with to Wi-Fi hotspots and computers so that they can stay in touch with their family, their doctors, and all that kind of stuff. And we're paying all those costs right now. We are, um, you know, trying to support the kids on campus uh, in a very constrained environment. And so the best thing you can do right now, frankly, is to donate to us and let us use that money um, to help families and children heal um, in the fluid situation that we are in right now where decisions have to be made fast and it does require flexible funding that allows us to do things we have not planned for. Ned, thank you for everything, for all you do, for the kids. I will thank you on behalf of all the kids that you help. You are an amazing light in this community, and I just can't wait to see what else you can throw out there because everything you throw out there seems to be caught, so I appreciate it. If you can help out the kids and families at the Tennyson Center for Children, just take a minute and visit TennysonCenter.org to learn more. Um, so my one cool thing this week is is pretty simple, um, but I think it's gonna it's big for peace of mind. You know, Ned talked a lot about the fear and anxiety that not only the kids at Tennyson Center are experiencing, but I think all of us are experiencing. And I went for a walk in North Denver, lots of restaurants to walk by, and almost every one of them had people out for lunch, people enjoying their brunch. You know, certainly everyone was sitting socially distanced and wearing their mask, and it wasn't a typical loud and active brunch scene, but there were so many smiles and there were so many people that were just glad to have a little, you know, sliver of normalcy back in their life. And I think that that kind of thing is going to help us get over this anxiety so that we can move forward uh, and, and, help our communities in the way that we can without being crippled by fear or anxiety. And, and that's, that's my cool thing. Just seeing people out, enjoying each other, uh, doing it safely and having a little bit of normalcy back in our lives. If you are interested in listening to more of our Good and Grounded podcast, uh, you can do so at goodandgrounded.com or uh, you can go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen uh, to your podcasts. Um, We do want to let you know if you hear of a good story or if you know of a good story that needs to be shared, let us know, drop us a line, make a comment in our social posts at meet at CT, at Ground Floor PR, Um, subscribe, share, let's do some good in our Denver and Colorado communities. Mm -hmm.